know that the Bank of Mum and Dad is now the fifth biggest lender in Australia? Does that mean that people with wealthy parents have an unfair advantage? And are there ways ordinary parents are helping their kids get onto the property ladder? Today we're talking about some of the ways your parents might be able to help you get into your first home. And we have a guest expert to help us understand some of the financing options. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. Come on the journey with us. We want you to become an educated home buyer so you can stop looking for your first home and actually become a proud homeowner. We will help you get to where you want to be without missing a step or making rookie mistakes. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode and if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, How to Buy Your First Home with the Right Amount of Debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, Your First Home Buyer Guide, the online course of people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get in the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. We're joined today by Jenny Fagg, who's the CEO and co-founder of To Be. And so thanks so much for coming along today, Jenny. Can we kick it off our chat with you telling us exactly what To Be is? Lovely. And thank you so much for inviting me along, Veronica and Megan. I can talk all day about Bank of Mum and Dad and First Home Buyers. And bring it on. We promise. Thought to be here. Um, so To Be is a specialty lender. We are set up to help people over 55 to access the equity in their own home. So um, I am a baby boomer. I'm the last year of the baby boomers. So if someone like me, um, if I've paid off my mortgage, um, own my home outright, and, but I can't necessarily prove to a bank that I can service the debt. So I, I don't have enough income to prove uh, that I can make the repayments over the next 10 or 20 years. Um, the alternative for me is to draw down on the equity I've built up in my own home, uh, take out a loan against that, and, for example, give it to my daughter as a deposit to buy her first home. Um, and the advantage with that is the parents can help um, the kids get on the housing ladder when they need it. Uh, another fact, I'll 
just keep going for a minute. Please do, because we've spoken to you and Veronica and I are both so excited about this option as a consideration for people. Great, thanks. Yeah, so to your question, is it only the really wealthy who can get help from the bank of mum and dad? Um, no. <laughs> and, and you'd be aware about 60% of first-home buyers now do get help from mum and dad. And we're set up to try to help people. I mean, clearly the parents, so, you know, the, the over 55s are paid off their house. So they, they, they do have wealth. They, they have amassed wealth in their own home, but they don't necessarily have the, the income in terms of cash flow. So, yes, our passion is, is helping people free up that wealth from tied up in their house. But to help family, um, they could actually use it to buy a, RV or to um, buy an investment property as well, but but my real interest is the uh, first home buyers, so the bank of mum and dad. So I guess we always talk about you know obviously for first home buyers, your first property is the first step, the first rung on that ladder, right? So well, I guess what we're talking about two ends of that at the moment. We're almost talking about the almost the last rung, or maybe the second last rung, and yeah. the first rung. So we're talking about <laughs> the parents That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, so the parents who might be teetering on the top of that ladder who don't have the cash flow and don't necessarily the income, maybe they're retired, maybe they're, they're looking at slowing down, maybe they're you know moving into retirement, but they still want to, they might want to access some money for all sorts of reasons. As, as you've said, they might buy a boat. God, it's not a good investment, people, but, you know. Um, that is a lifestyle. That's it. That's a lifestyle decision. Or it could be that they do want to help their kids get on the ladder because that is something that is increasingly um, bothering people who already own property, they're thinking, oh, it's good for me, you know, baby boomers, I've been able to benefit from all the rising prices over the decades um, and my kids don't have the same opportunities that I had. So there's a lot of people that are thinking, how can I help my grown-up kids? And there's also a lot of kids, when I say kids, I mean, you're obviously adults, but you're somebody's kid, um, who are thinking, how can I get my parents to help me because it was bloody hard, you know? Um, so you should, there's you genuine should, desire to do that for a lot of people to, to say, how can I help the kids do this in this really difficult environment? And you might want to share this episode with your parents if this is, you know, if this applies to you, by the way. But so just to sum that up though, if somebody's parents want to help them buy their first home, but they don't have the spare cash to give them or to lend them, they can tap into the value of their own home as long as they own it outright. Have I got that right? Um, that's correct, um, Veronica. We it's their own home, or um, some of the parents. So, so some of our borrowers are, are lending against investment properties or a holiday. So as they have a property that's worth more than seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars that they've paid off, or have only paid off. Um, so they, uh, you know, most of the equity um, is owned outright in one of those properties, and the parents can take a loan out against that. Uh, owner occupier investment or holiday home, uh, they would then give their the kids, as she said, the child, typically in their thirties, uh, they'd be able to give the kid the money through a deposit to buy the home. So they're quite separate loans. We don't try to mm -hmm. inflate the kids and the parents. Um, the child should still get the best standard mortgage they can. Um, but with the parents' help, they can get the deposit, not just to get into the house, but to get into the house that they want. I know you guys talk about, you know, 
you need to look down the track. You know, you want to invest in a place that will be right for you in a three to five years time, not just trying to, you know, kind of buy a place for short term and then incur the stamp duty and the other cost each time you trade up. So with the parents' help, we can build the family balance sheet because the parents keep their house, kids get into a property that they want, and after you know three to five years, um, the family's just so much better off because there's two properties in the in the family's household. That's that's so good because the other the other options sometimes are using the parents' house as the equity, which cross collateralizes and kind of ties those properties up together, and it kind of it means that if one wants to do something, it has an impact on another. Whereas what you're talking about is two very separate. Um, borrowing events, one that is the parents as a borrower and one very, very separate event, which is the kids, the the, the, the offspring, um, who are doing the borrowing on their own merits, but they are using some of that money from mum. It's sort of like, and, and this is, you know, in talking to you, it's sort of like bringing, potentially bringing some of the inheritance forward that the parents get to, to share that before they depart, um, rather than waiting and to, you know and see the the use of that money, it's it kind of feels like that to me. Spot on, Megan. It's exactly how some of our um, clients talk about it, bringing forward the inheritance. So I've just got a few numbers that I can throw at you. Um, the average first home buyer age is. 36, according to our research. I know going up, it could mid-30s, let's go with. Um, most people only inherit, um, get their inheritance when they're over 55, of course, because parents are living, people are living longer. So the time that people, kids need help with their first home um, is about 20 years out of whack. So what we're trying to do is finding out a way, how, you know, how can we help the families by bringing forward the inheritance um, so that the kids can get the money when they need it to get on the ladder. But also, as we talked about earlier, the family overall is better off because they've got more properties that are appreciating. The family be better off just for the fact that kids aren't waiting for the parents to die too. I'm sure that that's actually a good thing for family dynamics. Um, I guess this will end up being on a like a murder investigation podcast or something. Aha. Uh-huh. The, the the motive they wanted a home they were yeah. to get into the rising house prices they couldn't get the deposit no <laughs> we we are dealing with borrowing money here though so and, and I would imagine a lot of parents are going hang on hang on hang on a minute I, I you know I paid my house off I've worked hard even though I want to help my kids I don't necessarily want to go into debt again so and obviously it had the money has to be repaid. So I'm curious as to, well, cup a number of questions. One is, I guess, is the money lent at market rate? So is it lent at the same sort of rates that you'd be paying for your mortgage? And, and also, what are the repayment options? Because if it's like, um, we haven't used this term before, but reverse mortgage, which is, um, you might even want to explain what a reverse mortgage is. If it's like a reverse mortgage, that's like money that's borrowed against your home and you don't pay back until you sell the home. Right, but then there's an accrual. There's a there's an interest bill that's going up the whole the longer you have that property, versus 
you know, uh, okay, well, I'm going to refinance the new home and pay it down or, or, or what time frame is involved. So I imagine there's a lot of these sort of questions to be floating through the, the, the minds of the parents. The kids may not. They might be just looking at the dollar signs of the, the deposit, but then they go, hang on a minute, I do still have to pay it back. So instead of saving it up, I'm paying it back. What are some of the approaches to that? And, and back to that, is the money lent at market rates too? Right. So let's let's start with the is the money lent at market rate. Um, if parent can afford a standard mortgage, they should take a standard mortgage. So the product we offer is based on the reverse mortgage regulation. It's not a traditional reverse mortgage, but we do use that regulation. Um, and what that means is that the parents can decide to pay interest each month. So they have, if they want to, they can pay, make the repayment. But if they choose not to, then the capital interest does capitalize to your point. So um, it could take out $100,000 on day one at the end of five years, depending if you've made payments or not, you could end up owing like $135,000. I'm making that up, but it's a, um, it, it can capitalize. So the real benefit of that, of course, is... Um, it gives people the option if they have the cash, they should pay the income, they should pay the interest rate, the interest each month. And we actually give people a 25 basis point discount if they do pay the interest each month. But if they're not in the financial situation that month to make the payment, then the interest will capitalize. So they don't have to choose up front. It, it, no. Okay. Oh, that's it, interesting. They, yeah. They, they can eat, do it um, as they go. And, but, you know, the beauty of, that is it brings forward lifestyle choice, but people do have to be aware of compounding interest. So just like compounding interest is good if, you, if you've got a deposit, you know, if you're saving money, it helps. You get interest on interest. With a loan, um, you do get charged interest on interest, as you know. So over the years, if you don't make the interest-only payments each month, the amount that you owe to 2B does go up. So that's why it is a higher rate because it's a specialist product that offers flexibility other products don't, um, and which is why I say if you can afford a standard mortgage, it's going to be at a lower rate than our type of product. So to be equity advantage, it's currently 8.4%. Okay. Right. So so is it possible then that um, a, a parent and, and child may negotiate um, that the child pays the interest just as they would their other mortgage interest um, on on the separate loan, is that a possibility they may negotiate as part of their terms with each other? Yeah, perfect. Although the way we've structured it, and this comes back to how do, how do parents repay the money, which is rather a question, Veronica. Yes. Um, so in the case of a bank of mum and dad loan, the child would set up, a, could pay the direct debit. So we can set up a direct debit and then the child can pay the money to the parent. We would take the money from the parent's account. Okay, so it, is pay, it has to be paid by the parent's account. On the parent's account. Um, but on our website, we do have, for example, the um, free legal templates for an, a loan arrangement between the child and the parent. Do encourage um, kids to set up the direct debit with their parent so that each month, you know, everyone knows what's going on, if the money's coming in or not. Um, the other thing then is, at how, you know, how do the parents pay it back? At the end of 
the modeling we've done shows it's around three and a half years, but you know, depends on the interest rates on how much the market's going up or in value. But typically, um, the child, the mid thirties child should be able to refinance a loan and pay back their parents, um, within about three and a half years. So you take out uh, a loan with, say, ANZ, the child, um, to 80%, get Bank of Mum and Dad to give the extra. So they've got 5% saved to get Mum and Dad to put the 15% in. So I'll start again. Standard mortgage at ANZ, 80% with the child. Child has 5% deposit saved. To be loan or would put in the 15% for the deposit. And then at the end of three and a half years, the property should have appreciated enough in value and there should have been enough repayments from the child into their standard ANZ type loan that they can refinance with ANZ and pay back mum and dad. So that this is a very lengthy explanation. Veronica, I'm, I'm hearing asset selection being. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Because, and anyone who's listened to this podcast will know that not all properties go up in value. And not all properties go up in value um, at the greater rate versus others. Yeah, equally. Um, and so that's where it's so important that, you know, I would think if I'm a parent that is going to lend my adult child, you know, money by drawing down the equity on a home that I've paid off, then I want to be pretty certain that they they know how to choose a good asset. And and they're also, there's a number of things. I want to be pre pretty certain that their relationship's pretty solid. I want to be certain that they've got good employment, that they're actually going to, you know, that they're good on their word, they're going to pay down the debt. I like the fact that you've got templates, of agreement templates on your website, and we're going to put the link in the website to, uh, in the show notes to your website, because there's heaps of resources there for first home buyers, you know, considering using the bank of mum and dad. And also for the bank of mum and dad themselves to be thinking, what the hell are we doing here? This is a this is a very interesting um, time, you know, because the the it's like they're they're risking something that they've they've worked hard for, and the kids obviously, you know, we just want to get on the property ladder, particularly if prices are rising. Now I can see that the application for this would work really well. So the typical sort of candidate for this sort of lending option would be somebody who's got adult children who are in a career that perhaps they're in their early years of and they can really see that their in their incomes are going to substantially increase as they, you know, as they acquire skills and, and climb their corporate ladder. Um, potentially also a couple that might have young children that that are still in those fairly early years and they haven't yet started school and they think, well, one partner is home helping, you know, rear those kids and they're going to re-enter the workforce maybe in two or three years, you know, you could see that. Um, you could see also a bit careful asset selection in terms of, well, choosing a property that we're really confident is going to grow in value. So these are all these sort of things will almost have to, the arrows almost have to point in all the same directions to make this a viable um, option for people. But also as if you're in a situation where prices are rapidly rising and you can't outsave the market, if you if if all those if you put all the inputs in and then you're in a situation where you think you know what in three to five years I could repay that that is a hell of a lot quicker than trying to save up fifteen the additional fifteen percent deposit while prices are rising as well and also there's the savings at LMI too I would imagine too that's right and excuse me savings of LMI as well as a better interest rate 
So, ah, because you've got a higher LVR, a higher loan to value ratio. Ah, yes. Okay. On the, um, and thanks for mentioning the tools on the website, we have a, I think it's called the children's calculator. So I love that. I've played with that a couple of times, actually. I love it. It's great. For a number of reasons. So what did you like about it, Meek? I, I liked, okay, so what I liked was um, when you get in, you can you can put in some different scenarios, but it actually it shows you the opportunity cost of not getting into the market. So, it, 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 uh, and I won't describe because I'm not, I'm not going to do it justice, just get in and have a play with it. But um, it, it's a beautiful way of looking at compounding growth and the impact that that has on getting into the market at a certain point in time versus another point in time. And that's, you know, we, we talk about, bang on about that, Veronica, and that is, you know, you, you can get into the market in five years' time, but how much has the market ri- risen in that amount of time? And what are the other options that you could have taken that could have got you into the market earlier? And obviously, I'm big on risk management, so we're going to talk about risks shortly. But, um, you know, that I, I love that calculator because you can actually see it's very visual around the opportunity cost of not doing it. Well done on that because that wouldn't have been easy to, to create. I no, it, um, it is such a complex area, as you know, and to make it simple. Getting the data is not the hard bit, but how to make it understandable. I should say the opportunity cost, you know, wait the seven or eight years to buy, or, but by then the house you buy, Say it's worth seven hundred and fifty thousand now. By the time you've saved seven and a hundred and fifty thousand in five years' time, you know that house would only be the equivalent of what's worth five hundred thousand now. Those numbers I made up. It's very clear. Yeah, it's really, really <laughs> clear, and I love it for that because I don't think yeah you know, we talk about it, Veronica, but I don't think we've been able to demonstrate it as clearly as that calculator does. I confess, I haven't played with it, and I'm going. Oh my God! God do I can't yourself wait a favor. to. I can't <laughs> wait to. I'm getting on there right as soon as we hang up. I'm getting on there. We're going to be talking to Jenny about how we can use that a little bit more. I think because it is it's a cracker. I really like it because it is exactly right. Trying to sort of go, but you know, but I'm paying eight percent interest, and even if it does accrue, like I mean, that's thirty five thousand dollars, and. Will the property have gone up more than $35,000? Well, if you have a good asset selection, yes, it will have. Um, you know, so it is, it's like we cannot, we can easily focus on the wrong numbers, but the big picture is at what point, you know, are you ready and do you need the home and could you afford the mortgage and all that sort of palaver? And if this does help you get into the, into the market sooner or into a better property, like you alluded to earlier. If you can get into a property now that you won't have to upgrade in five years, you can actually stay in it for 10 because you are able to get the bigger home now and save all that. That's another use case, if you want to call it a use case, for this because, you know, that's so often the case that we just scrambled our our first rung on the ladder is very close to the ground and the gap between it and the next rung we can't quite reach, you know. So if this allows us to actually bridge that gap, then then that's something well worth looking at. And a better quality asset. And yes, and yes. a better quality asset because that is, at the end of the day, getting that first one right is, that is the ladder. Everything else is just a stone that kind of gets you, you know, to the first rung and probably even, you know, if you've got the wrong shoes on, you, wrong shoes, you're going to fall off. Don't, you know, t- don't take your heels to a, climb a ladder. Um <laughs> I have climbed a ladder in heels before, by the way. I absolutely I just, have too. 
And I was heavily pregnant when I last renovated my last house. Sorry, Judy, this is what we do. Um, Feel free to join in. I was heavily pregnant taking a um, going up and down a ladder for a renovation with my first child. And it was, I look back now and just think, oh, God, where was your risk management then, Megan? Well, but I wouldn't have done that. Digress. <laughs> let's segue into risk. Jenny, there is some risk here. Okay, so let's let's really lay it out on the table. What are the risks to the parents? What are the risks to the children? And what conversations do they need to sit down and have together to start thinking about, okay, what if? Yes, perfect. And it is all about the conversation uh, and discussion and common understanding as much as anything. Um, so, in fact, I got into this um, by building a risk education tool to help parents understand the risks of lending to their kids. Oh, oh really? Oh, really? I am. Um, oh, tell us more. <laughs> so, my um, uh, PhD is in credit risk. So, I took some of those fundamentals and turn them into a um, like an education tool for parents. So um, six tips, if I'll just go through them quickly. Um, but the key ones, as you say, just like talk about it. So the main thing is to preserve family relationships as well as one sheet. I love that that's the first one. So the first one has to be, yeah, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Um, couple of key things to look out for, though, in terms of the family re- relationships. Uh, one is what happens with the other siblings. Um, so Yeah, we haven't talked about them, have we? Yeah, that's right. A parental guarantee can work if there is one child. So, you know, you, you don't have flexibility, but you could do something like that. More than one child, what do you do with child number two or three? Um, what do you do if one child is on a high-earning income high earning role and the other child is, you know, um, not as affluent, do you disproportionately reward one? Um, it's lots of ways to structure that. But ah, great question. You have to think about that bef- as a parent before you give the first loan to the first child. But that's the first. How, how do we have the conversations and understand the risks? Um, second tip we give is understanding the parent, understanding how much they can afford. So it sounds silly. Maybe, but you know, as you say, these people pay spend 15, 25 years paying their home off to take out another loan is risky. It is. Um, so it's a, you know, it's the benefit of helping your family, of being generous, of building the balance sheet. Um, can you afford it? And, and not just can you afford it, but if you give one child $200,000 now um, in five years' time, can you still afford? You know, if the kid can't pay you back, can you get by without that two hundred thousand? If something goes wrong and the child cannot pay you back, so the parents need to work out their affordability um, on the basis that what if it goes wrong? That's how you have to look at it. So, second tip is parents' affordability. Third tip, kids' affordability, which, as you've mentioned, consider can your child pay back the money? And if they can't, you're not really helping things by getting them into debt that they can't. Um, service down the track. That's the third tip. Fourth tip, big one is um, documentation. And I don't know if you've covered this separately in, in your sessions, but um, is it a gift or a loan? So No, we haven't. Well, we actually have. We did, I remember, that interview with Barry Freight 
about the agreements that need to ease a lawyer, but the agreements need to be in place. We did talk about, you know, even taking, like basically becoming the mortgagee or the mortgagee. I always get confused which was which. But um, we'll put the link to the show in the show notes. So that episode I'm going to watch well that one again. Yeah, that's all about agreements and and the legal the legal side of this stuff and and the actually what is it? Yeah, but I like that, Jenny. That's that's a really great tip. So, so um, if it's a loan, um, there's asset protection. So, for example, uh, there's for the a, parents for the parent, not for the child. Actually, it's I'll give you an example. It helps the parent. Well, but I'll give you an example. So um, it's called the hairy biker example. I borrowed the example. So uh, one, my daughter, uh, who is in a relationship with a lovely young man who is not a hairy biker, just to be clear, but um, if one's daughter um, is married um, or in a relationship and they, you know, take buy the house together, um, if I was to give my daughter the deposit, say two hundred thousand dollars. If in a year's time, my daughter, my fictional daughter and the, fi- the fictional hairy biker split up, the hairy biker gets half the deposit effectively. So put my money in, but because it's a cohabitation and they've taken out a loan together, um, if they have to you know, divide the assets effectively, the boyfriend or girlfriend of my child gets to keep half the money I put in. That's if it's a gift. It's a gift, okay. Whereas if you set it up as a loan, the money needs to be repaid to you before the um, proceeds of the asset. You're a creditor. Yes. So you've protected the assets for your child as as well as for the family. Jenny, I know you're not going to give advice here, and and that's absolutely not your your role in this. It's just to you know enlighten and inform people about what's an option. But can you give us? You know, the loan versus the gift. You know, give us a little bit more around that. Sure. Um, and I hate to think how many times you've said that. So thank you, Megan. I, we're not here to give you personal financial advice. So appreciate you saying. Um, as a generalisation, I would say a loan is a much more sensible structure because it does have the asset protection built in, um, but it also forces the discussion and the conversation. So by if, if it's a gift, it's easy to sort of say, you know, here's the 30 grand, the 200 grand, whatever, um, you know, maybe pay it back when you sell the house. And, yeah. and that's what the arrangement is. You know, the, very few of these um, arrangements are documented. Whereas you do it as a loan. Uh, if it's set up as a loan, it can be an interest-free loan. So the child doesn't even have to pay interest, but at least it's documented that they owe you the the um the money that you've given them should needs to be returned, and, and we'd recommend that that start. Perhaps the wording there is if the um, owners change on the title. So addition can be if there's any change of the borrowers or or the title, um, then the the money that's been lent by the parents needs to be paid back first. Good discussion point to have with your solicitor. Yes, great yeah. discussion point for a solicitor. Yeah, fabulous. And we do have the templates on the site, but once again, it, it you need to talk about. I know one of your tips is talk to the right people. So talk to the professionals on this one. Yeah, yeah and this is a thing too, isn't it? Because you know you want to be helpful, 
And no one wants to have these icky, sticky discussions, but oh my God, if you don't have the icky, sticky discussion and all the shit it's a fan, basically you're going to wish you had the icky, sticky discussion. Jenny, if, if it was set up as a loan, is it possible that that might affect the child's borrowing capacity from the, the bank that they're going to? Great question. Yes. And it uh, depends how it is set up and it depends on the bank. So the first thing is make sure you ask the bank or, or the broker, whoever you're dealing with, um, if there will be an impact. Um, so being transparent with the bank and the broker is really important. Um, and my say it depends, banks' policies vary a little, uh, but it also depends how the loan is set up. So if the loan, uh, once again, not personal financial advice, but if the loan is set up with a zero interest rate, there's actually, so that means the money needs to be repaid at some stage. The print, but not now. And as a monthly repayment. Um, but there's no monthly repayment required from the child necessarily. So it's set up, you kind of have an agreement. The money needs to be repaid at, if something happens and the nails on the title change or the borrowers change. So if the kid's circumstances change, the loan needs to be repaid. But if it's set up in a way that monthly payments are optional. Yeah, optional, okay. Optional monthly payments, uh, then it should not affect the bank. Uh, the child serviceability. They once again talk to the bank or the broker. Right. Brilliant. Where are you up to on your list of risks there, Jenny? Because you were working through them. Yes. So we started with the icky, sticky discussion. Went on to parents making sure they know what they can afford. So that was number two. Number three was the kids' affordability and ability to service a loan. Number four was to gift or loan, which we talked about. Um, the fifth one is making sure uh, Parents are aware of the funding options, which is what we're talking about now. Um, in fact, some statistics here. Uh, we did research that showed that nearly two-thirds of parents would have say they would like to help their kids buy a home. So nearly two-thirds want to help the kids with a home. Um, about 42%, sorry, 44% of parents agreed that they would help their kids by drawing on their home equity which is an astonishingly high number, but many of the parents we've spoken to haven't realised that this type of product is available as an option. So the point for parents is find out what your options are. Don't assume because you don't have an income you can't lend uh, would be the fifth tip. And actually, just if I could add a little point there, whilst the majority of parents said they'd like to help their kids, um, Kids were often reluctant to ask for help. So this is a this was a surprise too. Got about half of eighteen to thirty four year olds um, disagreed with the idea of asking their parents for help. So you've got parents wanting to help. We've got kids not you know probably wanting to go it alone, be independent, um, pride, awkwardness. Um, so a tip there is kids actually ask your parents. <laughs> they may be a lot more willing than, and just not knowledgeable about what's available. Oh, that is such a good point. Although, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. If your parents are control freaks, you know, oh, there's a lot of it. To, and they don't let you live your life <laughs> the way you want to live your life. Don't ask them for any no. money. You, you know, no such thing as a free lunch is there. <laughs> yes. 
And that's true. There, there isn't. There is then a change in the relationship, particularly if there's a lending agreement in place, as opposed to to a to a gift. Wow. Yeah. But you know, I would be really interested. Hang on. Before you ask that question, is that the end of your list there, Jenny? <laughs> this is the world's longest six tip. Yeah, I know. Otherwise, we just get. We, I thought we'd just get there. Then hold that question, Megan. The sixth tip is just to document everything. So yes, the sixth tip is. Preserve family relationship, board, parents' affordability, kids' affordability, gift or loan, funding options for parents, and once you've worked it out, document everything because it can help some of that icky, sticky, situational awkwardness. Um, of course, when things go wrong, uh, that's exactly the time you don't want to be having, you know, uh, misunderstandings. Oh, but I thought you meant this. No, I meant that. I didn't think you wanted me to pay it back. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> And then the younger brother pops up and goes, what about me? <laughs> and when I was three, you gave her a big eight and you gave me. This, I've heard conversations exactly like that. But what if something unforeseen happens to the parents and the parents have to sell? What if the parents get divorced? Great question. Needs to be documented. <laughs> uh, that is definitely not a one size fit all. The, um, what happens if the parents... It, it's um, what happens to the parents split up, but it's also um, sometimes if both sets of parents want to put some money in to help the kids, it, it, it can get. Ah, well, yeah. that gets really complex, doesn't it? <laughs> my, 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 you know, my parents are putting in 7.5%, yours are putting in 7.5%, or mine is putting in 5 yours are putting in 10 Another option, another layer of complexity, which doesn't mean that it's not possible, but, Jenny, I think if people really take um, – take notice of your six tips there, then it, it is actually possible to do some of those complex things. But I'd be really keen, Jenny, do you have anything on your website that is almost like conversation starters? So like um, a, some tips or a download that that can start, you know, how to start the conversation and the types of things that you need to talk about. And um, don't forget to think about, is there, have you got a little bit of a, a, a roadmap or a, a no, I'm not a cheat sheet because I don't want to cheat on anything here, but, you know, like a, a guide on how to start these conversations. Yes, thank you. And um, I, I enjoy a cheat sheet myself. I think very sensible. Love a good checklist. A checklist, yeah. The checklist is probably kinder. Um, yes, so um, on the website under, it's called BOMAD, and there's a tab called BOMAD, and it's got setting up the bank of mum and dad for success, and it goes through each of those world's longest explanation of six tips uh, on the site. Uh, also, if um, people request it, we can send, there is a PDF that we can send out uh, if they prefer us to send them something as a single document. They can leave just casually on the dining room table when they go to visit their parents next time. Not, so not so underhanded, but it, it is It is a hard, as you say, you know, kids are less likely to ask if parents are quite open to doing it if they understand and having starting just having a conversation starter around it. It may well be, you know, I know with my parents, one parent is is, you know, he he just does not have a lot of um care about risk. He just wants to get in and help them. And mum's really quite good at going, well, hang on, no, we need to really think about this and have, you know, so it and that's, you know, usually people who are risk averse, married people who are risk um, high in, high in risk management. So, and, yeah, that's what makes them survive and, and not actually end up, but 
<laughs> spending every cent that they've got. Um, but I, I think it's I think it's good that there is a tool there. And you might sit down as a family and say, I like the idea, but this is not for us. But I'm glad that we had the conversation. Yes. And, and yeah, no, absolutely. And to your point, I think generally it can be worked through. Um, it's that people, it's more that people aren't aware that they need to work it through. So by having that knowledge that there's lots of um, things to think through, fill out the forms. We've got forms on there. Just once again, a conversation guide. Actually, I think we call it a conversation guide. Um, yeah. And this, you know, this is something that, like you said, it might not turn out to be for for them or for you uh, as you're listening to this, but I think um, exploring it is certainly well worthwhile, particularly if those stats, you know, apply to your family where you're thinking, I don't want to ask, but your parents would be quite open to it if they knew that there was a way that they could do it. And financially it worked for everybody. You can all afford it and run through those six tips. So that's a really... I think an interesting option that we we want to sort of start doing more of these episodes where we do look at other options at getting into the property market because as we're all aware, it's not getting any easier. And so is there anything before we wrap it up, um, Jenny, that you'd want to add? Because I want to make sure that anybody who's listening to this that thinks, look, this could be a good option for us. I want you to share it with your parents. Um, is there anything that you'd want to add as a sort of final parting word, Jenny? Oh, and Megan has a final question for you anyway, so don't um don't think this is the last question. It's the second last question. Um, okay, if you're feeling very cheeky as a child, you could go onto the website. So it's 2B, digit numeral 2BE.com.au. Uh, go on. It's called the Financial Firepower Calculator. Um, Megan's already done this, I know. What you can do is you put your parents' address into the, into the um, search engine. Uh, the site will bring you up the value of the your of the parent's house. So you just put in their address, you get the property report. We get it from CoreLogic and Ilion, by the way, are our providers. An uh, estimate. Yep. Yep, the estimate, that's right. And then um, if you know your parents' age, you just and they're over 55, you put in the age of the youngest parent, and that will tell you how much your parents could actually free up of the equity in their own home if you know, assuming they don't have a loan. That's what I would leave on the dining room table, <laughs> the, the um, firepower calculation saying, mum and dad, you can free up, you know, one and a half million dollars if you wanted to. Wow. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's really getting them between the eyes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> May I suggest a gentler approach? <laughs> Leaving the piece of paper lying on the table, maybe. I mean, mum, dad found this awesome possibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I would caution there, I'm I'm guessing that if they did go through the application process, there would be evaluation required and that might not, the numbers might change a bit. Well, yeah, good point. So we um the we use a digital valuation. Um if it's within a uh tight confidence interval, so you're you know, we're if if we're fairly confident based on the valuation um, that it's likely to be accurate, we actually just do a digital valuation. We don't even do a, um, a full valuation. I guess that works because it's like, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, you're lending a small proportion of the the value, right? So it'd be different if you, if it was the actual purchase, the property you're purchasing. So what is the maximum proportion of the value that you would offer uh, access to out of this program? Great, and I should have mentioned that. So thank you. Um, it is fifteen percent to thirty five percent a loan to valuation ratio, depending on age. So Got it. if a parent is fifty five, then the maximum loan to valuation loan to valuation ratio is fifteen percent. If the parent and then it goes up one percent per year until age seventy five, and then the maximum loan to valuation ratio is uh, 35%. I must ask, why is it that way around rather than the other way around? Why isn't it more the younger you are, less the older you are? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's because it's um, the impact of capitalising interest. Um, as you get older, um, you live longer, basically. So, if, so when you're 55, you have a longer time to live. <laughs> longer time <laughs> to live. Better time to live, great time to help your kids. But um, yes, over time, if you don't pay interest, that uh, the capitalising amount does grow. So as you get older, there's just less time for the capitalising interest to grow. So sort of minimising the risk in that regard of it blowing out to being worth more than the property's worth. I guess the actuaries have got their hands on that and sorted that one out for you, right? Yeah. In fact, ASIC. So we are regulated by ah. ASIC. So all of our lending is done under strict yeah, lending guidelines. So, yes. So that's the reverse mortgage regulations, is that's it? That's correct. So Got it. Okay. Do come, that's what I say. We do feed off us. We're not a traditional reverse mortgage. We do work off the reverse mortgage regulations. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Jenny, um, we obviously talk to first home buyers and uh, we always ask our guests, what is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew when you're a first home buyer? Uh, can I give you two parts to that answer? As a very first home buyer, I overextended myself and I had, did not allow, and I was a single person, I did not allow enough um, money for the stamp duty, the uh, even the cost of the removalist um, getting the utilities put on. I, I got that wrong. So as a first home buyer, I um, my asset selection wasn't bad. I, like it was a horrible little unit, but it you know got me on the ladder. So that, that was good. I actually overextended myself. I hadn't understood the sheer cost of purchasing. The second learning was probably as a second home buyer. Um, I did the opposite, which is actually, say, I was in a um, marriage or relationship. There was two incomes. Um, we were very conservative when we worked out how much we could afford with a house. In retrospect, to your you know, to the key point on which you guys talk about, we should have actually extended ourselves a bit further, got a better property, we wouldn't have had to trade up as fast and have all those costs of um, trading in and out. But it was a good, luckily we did have a good location so we could actually trade up pretty easily, but it is expensive. Yeah, two really good points actually because it's a fine line between overextending and underextending, isn't it? Jenny, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's you know it's a great discussion. It's such an interesting um, solution for, that will be appropriate for some people, and we want to sort of keep bringing some of these to the to the audience. So thank you again for your time, and uh, yeah, we look forward to I guess keeping in touch because uh, you've got lots of interesting things on your website. I'm going to go out there and have a play right now. Have a play with a calculator. <laughs> 
In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first-home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first home buyer guide, the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you've found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.